sure you just jump right in. I, I have no questions drawn up. Okay, good. I mean, no, I, I, I didn't... No, we don't need them. I didn't prepare because I figured when I got here, we talk about enough stuff anyway that it's one of those, uh, one, my natural laziness, and two, if I know somebody well enough, I often don't even write up any questions. I just say, we're going to talk on this day, and I might write two or three things down, but often I never get to them. We just start out with, you know, how are you doing, and then it goes on from there. All right. Last and you've got all kinds of notes. <laughs> Oh, I won't even use them. <clears throat> we can. I mean, we can. We can work up to the notes. Oh, God. I've been recording already for five minutes. Oh wow! <laughs> I need banter at the beginning. I always have that. I'm back again at Dave Perkins. That's some loud traffic. Back again at Dave, Dave Perkins' house here in Santa Fe, at his beautiful home, which is uh, which uh, fills me with happiness and envy. Well, not much envy. (laughs) Envy's a bad one, but it's such a beautiful place. I tell people, they said, what's this house like? I said, imagine a house that you think it looked like in New Mexico. That's what it looks like. Right. (laughs) With the firewood. Yeah. The hawks crapping on our heads. (laughs) We like that. Well, there is a hawk that lives in the tree here. Yeah, a couple. A couple, really? Yeah, a darling couple. And they just like to poop all over the place, but... Goes with the territory. You get mouse bones and stuff falling yeah, on your yeah, head. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like carcasses dropping out of the sky. Many, many mutilations. <laughs> I was just looking at the because uh, listener Stephanie sent me a uh, posted a video of um, she's at the Uffizi Gallery in Florence and she <clears> saw <throat> the um, Annunciation by Simone Martini from 1333. Wow. I don't know if it's the international Gothic style, but it is the it is the Italian um, pre-Renaissance Gothic style where everything's gold. Yeah, I like that. And looking at it, uh, one thing I always liked about it is the words coming out of it. Who's who's the angel that did the Annunciation? Gabriel? No, the whoever the angel that told Mary that she was pregnant with an alien baby. Um, hmm. The words are coming out of the angel's mouth. In a straight line towards Mary, just yeah. in, uh, it's they're in raised letters too. It's wow. pretty amazing. Um, I always like that. And then I, I was looking at it with Dave. I said, "Hey, <laughs> just like I said, she's getting a visit from some otherworldly being, telling her she's pregnant <laughs> with an alien baby." <laughs> and Joseph's like, "What? What? <laughs> really? That's interesting." <laughs> No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain, away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information, and the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, well conditioned here? Yes.
my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? How about this? We're going to call this segment The Answer. All right. And I'm going to present a premise which we will discuss. Please do. Okay. The premise is the paranormal is the key to understanding consciousness, and the cattle mutilations are the key to understanding the paranormal. Discuss. Discuss. <laughs> I'm not sure I can handle the cattle mutilation part, but the paranormal, the key to consciousness, yes. Because a lot of people have been saying that for a long time, and now people that say they have the answer are saying that, excellent, we're getting a, 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 um, a siren, because I always have one on my shows. Oh, that's good. Um, that the nexus for all this weird stuff is human awareness. Uh, consciousness, if you want to call it, but experience, memory, um, all the things that go into making a human a human besides just the animal part. Yeah. So, we've been discussing that over the last couple of days, how so-called ufology, paranormal studies have veered toward the consciousness approach uh, and more away from the uh, physical craft paradigm so yeah well at least amongst people we would like to talk to and listen yeah. to and read about the, well, the, the the physical craft thing is alive and well oh yeah but i sense i i think you do too but you write about it and uh yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of frightened almost wow people are talking about the same things that i've been talking yeah. about with my friends for a long time it's almost it's almost right. disconcerting it is. <laughs> well, I've Not been... that I'm right or anything like that. It's just kind of yeah. scary and heartening at the same time. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. It's like after 40 years, it's suddenly, you, you know, you're seeing these books start to come out and people are saying, huh, let's think about this consciousness business. I, I think last time we talked, we were, I was telling you that I'd been to, I'm 10 years straight, I went to a conference called Science and Consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, rather than going to UFO conferences, because that's what fascinated me, and it, it was uh, it was tough because at the end of ten years, basically they were saying uh, 
In short, we can't really explain consciousness. Uh, we don't know what it is or where it resides. Or I'm like, oh great, after 10 years? <laughs> and I just picked up this physics book and to a random page, really dense physics book, and the guy right in the, to the page I turned to said, well, uh, then we have the consciousness issue. Uh, we don't really know where to put that. Uh, maybe we should just call it awareness, but it does have, you know, a ma it's a major factor in trying to understand physics. Yeah. So, uh, so therefore, you, the you're going... The observer cannot be <coughs> divisible, divi divided from the observed. Yeah. The one, I guess the one thing I did pick up out of it, kind of consensus, was that consciousness uh, does not reside in solely in the brain. That's when people you know, think, right. they think, oh, my consciousness, and then they hold their head. But it, that what they were saying is that consciousness resides in every cell of your body. Mm -hmm. So... That and probably in every atom in the universe, and whatever right. the structure is, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. There you it go. Is, it is. Uh, it's. It's the Hindu idea. Yeah. So that. I mean, that t took ten years to figure that out for me. But it was. Uh, I still haven't figured it out. Well, at least, <laughs> at least to grasp the idea. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm sort of in the ball. I've, I'm in the ballpark, and I'm waiting for the game to start. Right. I, yeah. I don't exactly know what the game is. Yeah, we don't. We don't know what the game is or what the rules are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, but at least we've we've we found out where the game is played, possibly. Right. Anyway, this is one of the places where the game could be played. So we're yeah we're we're examining the ballpark and who's there and what the rules of the game might be and which teams are playing and right yeah the rules and did I say the rules all that stuff yeah it's, a, it's sort of like inside baseball except it's inside consciousness mm -hmm. uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we got all the stats. We got the studies. Uh, so anyway, you're going with the first part of that premise, which is that paranormal is a key, I will say, not the key necessarily, yeah. to, to understanding consciousness. And that's why this research is so valuable, if it does indeed have value. Yeah, and, and yeah. Not, not proving that there's people coming from other planets, or ghosts are real, or Bigfoot is a physical thing, or a paranormal thing, right. but... How do we apprehend that? How do we think about it? Um, and um, how does the human mind deal with those things? Yeah. That, that's, uh, people long before us have said that's probably the, the most important thing. Even Jim Mosley, when he was joking about it, said that. Yeah. Uh, I remember something he said to me at a conference. He, as he was walking away, I think he said something like, the answer is within us, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing to say, but, uh, you know. Uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom there. If we're talking about the answer, but uh, Gray Barker said the same thing. Yeah, he, he said if you want to find out where the UFOs come from, look from look, look within yourself right. because yeah. that's where they are. I, that's probably where Mosley got it, actually. Yeah, probably. So then, uh, the second part of the premise is that the mutilations are the key to understanding the paranormal. Yeah, which is ob obviously much more debatable. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it scared me, which is why I backed off the yeah, other part first. <laughs> well, that's uh, so. Here's my my argument for that. It's uh, first of all, it's it's a really pervasive. The mutilations are a very pervasive phenomenon, and as Chris O'Brien points out, like what other paranormal phenomenon gives you this much physical evidence? 
Yeah, you told me. I asked why you're interested in it. It's because because yeah. you've got you know four hundred whatever half ton of physical evidence right in front of you. Right, over and over and over again. Yeah, along with all the uh, uh, attendant phenomena, what I call attendant phenomena to the yes. relations. Yeah, which are <clears throat> mystery helicopters, strange craft, saucers, lights, yeah. lights, cryptids, Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Effects on people that, that yeah. uh, are, are apparently contagious to them. Uh, entities. Uh, it's uh, there's a whole realm of other memes that have attached themselves to the uh, cattle mutilations. The cattle mutilations. Yeah, we should talk about that too. I, I was fascinated with your idea yeah. of something happening, then a meme storm. Right. Accreting around it, yes, which yes. was not the original thing, but it becomes that. Right. So yeah, we, that was very interesting. And uh, so we have uh, this memeplex. The original meme is basically the UFO. Or if you even go further back than that, say you want to go back two thousand years, the meme is uh, uh, people on other planet planets living lives like us, other beings in the universe. This is Greek. Oh. So, so that's yeah, and the other side of it is uh, contact with some other intelligence, be it whatever it is in your culture. Somehow, all is being connected to some sort of light. Yeah. Okay. An orb of light, or a yeah. burning bush, or whatever you want to call right. it. Right. Yeah. Good point. So hmm. we've got that that original meme: people on other planets. Then the next one is uh, craft or lights or some what I call attendant phenomena. So that, anyway, yeah. that attaches. Then it works its way all the way up through the centuries, through science fiction, uh, and then the more and more memes start glomming onto this giant memeplex. And a meme, we should refresh people's memory, is something that's yes. passed from mind to mind. Uh, it's a an idea, a concept, yeah. an image. Uh, right. More and importantly, something that, like a... It's almost like a word yantra, if you know what I mean. It is yeah. a phrase or an idea that unlocks an entire right. um, uh, universe or whatever you want to call it, subject matter. Just by having that one meme, suddenly you've got, this is the key to open the door to right. that whole mythology. Yeah, so that, uh, that's the key word here is mythology. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, uh, and everybody listening knows that we're not saying mythology like this is mythology. It's a myth. It's all a has myth. <laughs> myth is not used in a pejorative no. way here. Myth is is a good thing in general. Uh, it's so how we make sense of things. Yeah. So uh, that's, people like movies and music and all that. That's the way we've organized our minds, our thinking, our societies, our culture. Yeah. Is behind myths. That's why Carl Jung called his his book uh, "Flying Saucers" a modern myth of things seen in the sky, mm -hmm. and that wasn't a pejorative use of the word myth. Right. He, it's basically saying it's an archetype. Or, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, we've got this uh, this giant memeplex that just keeps motoring along through hundreds and <laughs> thousands of years. Motoring. <laughs> uh, it just keeps moving right along. So, but we, so then we end up with with cattle mutilations, and of course, I'm partial to that particular subject. And I think uh, because of the physical evidence involved, but uh, I was thinking about it. You could really substitute any paranormal phenomenon 
in the place academy relations. I, sometimes I take people in my library and I say, they don't really know what I'm researching, and I say, look at all these books and tell me what you think I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody has any idea. <laughs> right, they look at uh, gee. I don't have any idea, and I'm talking to you right now, right. and we've been talking quite a bit. Right. It's an impressive library. So, but uh, I think you're trying to figure out what your questions were partially at the beginning of this talk. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the thing about the mutilations, and, and in general, as a researcher, I, I think it's not a terrible idea to focus on one area of the paranormal. I know it's it's hard for me to keep focused on mutilations because it has so many what I call tendrils. Uh, and the next thing you know, you've got a book, you're researching uh, Mesopotamian culture 10,000 B.C., right? And like people are like, what does that have to do with cattle mutilations? Uh, well, it have, may have a lot to do with it. <laughs> but, so there's virtually nothing in human knowledge that mutilations don't touch, at least in my research. Because, you, you know, the hard sciences, the soft sciences, the arts, cultural history... Whatever it is, somehow it, it's woven its way into everything. So uh, I think there's, at least for me, it helps keep me focused. Otherwise, I, I just fly off into the next searching or you know, looking for the next shiny, bright object. Yeah. That's, how oh, how, look did, look how, look how did Jimi Hendrix communicate with whatever his muse was? Through his fingers and his guitar. That's his thing. Yeah. Your axe is right. the mutilations. Well, it's, it's it's done that for me at least. It's kept me focused. And it's like okay, we see all this other stuff on the periphery. Uh, it's very interesting, and I'm going to go check out check it out over here. I'll check out Bigfoot. I'll check out the crop circles. I'll see how yeah. any of this relates, and I'll gather enormous amounts of information about all of those subjects, and then try to bring it back home again. You know, and say okay, how does this relate to the particular issue at hand? Uh, so maybe other people don't need that kind of focus. I, I, I think you could. I think it helps. Uh, it's got to help. You go, you go spinning off into yeah. nothing. I mean, into four hundred things, you can't concentrate on one thing. If you concentrate on one thing, you right. can mine that thing for its meaning and its, and especially for you. You know, if you if it has meaning for you, and you can communicate that to other people, that's how that's how things move forward. I think that's how knowledge is gained. That's how new ideas yeah. are, are are take root. Right. And it's not from people being dilettantes, it's from people being very focused on something. Yeah. Even if it's so obscure to most people, it doesn't make any sense. That's why, you know, when people write, when I try to write something, especially, you know, any book I try to write, I don't write it for people that are into UFOs. I write it for people that know about UFO stuff, but they would like to have a handle on it in a different way and not just, you know, right. worry about, you know, <clears throat> UFO porn or like what happened this day right. and what happened this day and no. Um, how does this? How do these ideas we're talking about here? What what greater significance do they have right. for us? For our significance and why we're here? And you know, and yeah. you know, why why does science do what it does? It wants to find out how we relate to things and how things work. And philosophy and art does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, I guess the paranormal, like you said, impinges on all these subjects in a way that most things don't. Yeah, <laughs> and the parts that are ignored are the ones that interest me. The ones right. that about psychology and mythology and oh. creativity and art and right brain stuff. I'm mean, sorry, left 
right right brain stuff, yeah. <laughs> Light brain, ref brain. <laughs> Light brain, <dead. laughs> And uh, I'm only drinking water. Okay, okay, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so, well, I'm glad uh, you, you follow along with where I'm going with that in terms of say, making the bold claim like that the, the cattle mutilations are the, actually the key to the paranormal. Yes, I uh, want you to go ahead with that. Because at least for me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm because the, the concept still slightly makes me nervous, so I want you to explain right. why that is. Well, that makes me nervous that you asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I say things that I intuitive, intuitively think are correct, and then somebody says why, and I'm like, oh shit, now I've got to explain why. I thought that. Right. <laughs> I'm, by, I'm trying to buy time. <laughs> That's uh, what editing is for. Uh, okay, okay. I can buy you all kinds. You can answer me three weeks from Right. <laughs> But uh, I think what my conclusion really is, is if 40 years ago I had started off, say, studying Bigfoot. Just something that is still a mystery in my mind. Yeah. And it's very similar to cattle mutilations in a lot of ways. There's a certain amount of physical evidence and photographs and footprints and uh, a consistency over many cultures over a long period of time. Uh, and you could, I think I would end up almost in the identical place that I'm in now in terms of trying to understand the world around me. That I would have read the same stuff eventually and started saying, well, wait a minute, what is this thing? Is this, is this paraphysical? Is it, you know, a physical creature? Is this, you know, is the mutilation actually real? And I mean, did coyotes do this and I'm just misinterpreting it? Or... Mm-hmm. Is Bigfoot actually just a big old bear? That you know, I don't know. Uh, so you get to all the literal explanations for all these phenomena, but then you say, well, that doesn't really answer all the question, and it's intellectually dishonest to accept that if you've got this whole other area of stuff that's like totally unexplainable. Yeah. So I think, you know, almost any phenomenon I can think of, I think I would have ended up in the same place asking the same questions right here, probably with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would have just that would have been the path, but it's it's hard to stick with one thing because you you know it's there's so many other interesting things you come around with all these new books and ideas and stuff. It's like oh yeah oh yeah I'm gonna go chase that for a while. Yeah I know I I I presented a couple to you when I got here and I was like wow this is really pulling me off what I should be doing but it's so interesting. Well yeah so that's you, you know that's fun that's the fun part of it. Yeah, I mean, you show me these things. It's like, God, I never saw that. Never thought of that. Uh, that's great, you know. Uh, so everybody seems like to come around with a little piece of the puzzle, and and just keep rearranging it, and rearranging it. It's like this is what it looks like today, and tomorrow a new piece of information might change that whole view. So yeah. all of these, I keep wanting to stress. Uh, anything I ever say is a provisional theory. Yes. You know? can, that's all it can be. I mean, even in the hard sciences, things are provisional theories. Right. Some just are provisional for quite a long time. Yeah. So, uh, and that's healthy, uh, and that's why I think ufology is not that healthy in many ways, because uh, it's got one theory. Okay, ETs are extraterrestrials from other planets coming here in metallic craft or whatever. The, the hardcore meme of that is. Uh, so, I think... Uh, well, like I say, you could, you know, I would end up in the same place once you start exploring the mysteries, right? Mm-hmm. You end up, it's like, oh, well, why are we actually here at all? <laughs> you know? 
in this moment, in this place, on this planet, in this universe. It's all the great, great questions of being. Mm -hmm. that you're and gonna, we're just coming at it from this, this uh, right. fun angle that weird people are into. How much more time do you want to buy before you just dive right into it? <laughs> right. why mutilations are the, the key to the paranormal? Well, I, I'm just saying for me, it has been a real key to understanding. It's kept me focused uh, on one thing, more or less, uh, where all these other things kind of float around. Yeah, I think we talked about this in the last show, but can you yeah. give me like a, a very, can you give me an example of one tributary of like, okay, this... Uh, th this is this is key to me. Um, maybe you're not even sure why, but this aspect of the mutilation thing is key. Not even an aspect, but an as uh, 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 a feature of the mutilation um, meme field, yeah. field taken as a whole, um, or in part. How is that uh, a key to you? I, we may have talked about this in yeah. the last show, but I don't care. Well. Meaning, you know, you go out and look at something, yeah. you come back and talk about it, you compare notes with other people. Right. What does this tell you about the phenomenon and about um, the paranormal in general? And then the bigger questions. I mean, how, how, yeah. does, how does this narrow down to... Well, it... it uh, or actually branch out. Yeah, it does branch out. But I think from very early on, uh, I know we did talk about this somewhat before, uh, it has been uh, some sort of environmental... Uh, metaphor to me, mm -hmm. and you go out in a field, this beautiful field. Here's this cow cut up in a very strange fashion, and you say, uh, "You're out in nature, you know. You're out with the wild things." And so you see that, and you go, Some, and, "And it has from the very beginning, it's had the look of a test. Something was being tested. It's like why." On Earth, would anybody run around and kill these cows and not take the valuable parts of them? You know, and take the least valuable commercially or whatever, useful parts to most people. And it had all the earmarks, so to speak, of a test. Mm -hmm. And that led, led me to my <coughs> environmental uh, monitoring <coughs> theory. <coughs> Excuse me. And then on into uh, trying to track uh, nuclear activity, uh, spread of radiation. Right. Uh, and it's been an opening into the world of, of nature, basically, which then led into my studies of Gaia, because once you, if you start studying Earth system science, uh, you, that's the same thing as the Gaia theory, that the whole Earth is a living organism. And it's, yeah, and all that the, the, uh, uh, the systems are interconnected in some way. Yeah, so... If you, you know, that's been the beauty of it because <clears throat> that's been the education. <clears throat> that it's, if, you know, something is, it's, it's like, a, it's a metaphor of some sort as you look, if you just look at it as a poetry or something or yeah. a poetic statement or a, pe a piece of symbology, you say, well, something doesn't like this cow. And something's trying to tell us something about the environment, and I think uh, as yeah, and our relationship to it because the cow right. does not exist in a vacuum; it is it is a domesticated animal. Yeah, and that's one of the. I was referring to studying Mesopotamian civilizations ten thousand years old, because they were the first to domesticate the cow from the oret. And uh, Chris and I were studying this, and we came across these books that was basically saying it took. A thousand years to domesticate the cow. A thousand years. That's frightening. That means that these guys, it's a frightening these amount people, of time. 
out there in nowhere land in Mesopotamia, they found the most docile auric they could find and said, okay, these are crazy beasts, auric was. And they were huge. Huge. And they got them pinned up and said, okay, and then we're going to mate that one with the most docile female that we could find to try to like tame them, calm them down here a little bit. Yeah. Keep breeding for those characteristics. That took a thousand years. I don't think, think they knew they were doing it the fir- at first. Probably halfway through it, they weren't sure what they were doing. <laughs> After 500 years, <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, man. Thanks. I wish this would move There's along. an ancient story that <laughs> right. these used to be not in a pen. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, and they used to break out of them. They had to be made of rocks so that right. they wouldn't break out of them. But I, to me, that's just... It's a lot a, easier than running out and finding them. Right. <laughs> it's just such a marvelous story because they, they wanted them for, to milk. You know, they wanted something that was uh, sustainable. Reliable sources, Sus- yeah. Yeah, they want, there was, you know, we're no longer hunter-gatherers. They want to stay in one place. Yeah. So it's like, we really need yeah. something here that we can get the to. civilization was not built on being nomadic. It was built right. on being sedentary and having a food source. And Yeah. So that's... that's for the a, first time, almost. That's a lot of patience. A <laughs> 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 thousand-year breeding program. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the Nazis tried to breed the auric back the other direction. And it, they did? Yeah. I didn't know that. Why? Because they wanted it to be the symbol of Nazi Germany. The, the auric used to run wild in Europe. That was the beast of the most masculine, crazy-ass beast that there was, right? I never even and heard of it. And ruled. And they... Yeah. <laughs> they tried to breed the most, right. the nastiest ones they could. And they got they got the nastiest cows and started breeding them back the other way. The meanest, biggest, roughest, toughest, and closest to the auric. And all they ended up with was these gigantic cows that really weren't aurics at all. Just gigantic, um, bad, right. bad-tempered, useless uh, cows. And there was one, one great headline in the, one of the British newspapers, something like, Nazi cows run wild in English... Countryside. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, they got so big and they busted out and they were trampling people's crops. But these people had taken up after the Nazis went down. Some people in England tried to keep the program going to, you know, recreate the art. But uh, that was unsuccessful. They just ended up with gigantic cows that. that would not be domesticated. But Hitler wanted that as their image. You know, that was that was what he was after. So instead of on all the instead of all the uh, Nazi symbols of, of the eagle with the right. six, with the uh, they were they really wanted that. They wanted a cow with a with a swastika on its forehead or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> with the giant horns and the fierce expression and mm-hmm. something of power and control and masculinity and yeah, all of those kind of nationalistic images. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, that's that's why you know you end up going down those avenues into studying like okay what is it about this animal that it, it it's been so important for the development of yeah this is an all in Chris's books actually too yeah I've worked as on, he says read the damn book <laughs> yeah I've, I've worked on a lot of those sections of that yeah. book with him on uh-huh. this specific thing and he's been way into like go, tracing it back tracing it back and so. Uh, then we end up in a situation now where the cow has been such a, you know, a marvelous thing for the development of civilization, but now it's turned into our worst enemy in many ways. 
And I, I just read this thing last night, as a matter of fact, that I had made some, some notes about a long time ago, uh, talking about Gaia and James Lovelock. Uh, the, the originator of the Gaia yeah, hypothesis. and Lynn Margulis, his partner. Uh-huh. Uh, so he, uh, I, I use this term, this his quote a lot, which is, uh, somebody asked him what the three greatest threats to Gaia were, and he said it's the three C's. Cows, cars, and chainsaws. Cows being oh. the number one threat to Gaia. Right. Now this is significant from the guy who came up with the Gaia hypothesis, right? So in other words, you're saying, Lovelock, that cows are the greatest threat to the Earth? And that's what, exactly what he was saying. Then I saw this little thing that was in a, it was almost an aside by him in some interview in an obscure journal in which he said something paraphrasing. He said, I wish some scientists had come up with something to kill all the damn cows. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> are you sure you want to say that? Uh, I mean, that's how much he thought, how destructive he thought they were. Right. Uh, and, and now, in terms of creating greenhouse gases, in terms of... Deforestation. Deforestation, right. Oh, the whole deal. The cow is really, really the enemy of Gaia in this current state of uh, development of the world. So there's this, uh, there must be some sort of intuitive uh, hostility to the cow. Uh, here's another little cultural example. I may have mentioned this earlier, but uh, when there was a cattle mutilation wave in Georgia a couple of years ago, last, early last year, I believe, uh, what I do, I read the stories, I go online to the, like, the newspaper or the TV station, whatever, and they have a section for comments from listeners. Or, and it's the locals, and just, you know. Yeah. Uh, so here is rural Georgia, out in the middle of nowhere, basically. I mean, very rural. With no background in cattle mutilations. They didn't know what the heck was going on here. No, that's like a Southwest thing. Yeah, so, uh, but I was really shocked by the... Or Western, actually. Yeah, I was just amazed by the comments from these people. Typical rural Georgia people who were saying, I hate cows, that's the reason I've become vegan. Uh, cows are destroying the earth. Uh, these people should be raising cows because they're destroying the earth. I just, uh, you know, it's like, wait a minute, really? Uh, I mean, that just really surprised me that, that, you know, that how this is filtered down to, say, the common person, whatever that is, that, you know, all these people say, well, we're vegan. Oh, we're strictly vegan. We don't eat any meat. We don't believe in Maybe that's any. because the vegans are, are people that make the most noise. Maybe not majority, but they, well, they are very um, yeah, they vocal saw, in their right. opinions. They saw this particular phenomenon as a way to beat that drum, right, Yeah. Uh, for their point of view. And I think there's maybe only one out of ten comments is like, well, we've been raising cows for three generations, and, you know, they provided a lot of meat and products that people love and, you know, a few kind of half-hearted yeah. attempts to support the cattle industry. But by and large, people were quite hostile to the cattle. Huh. And I thought, that is kind of amazing. Uh, so we have the vegan movement is, is quite large now in the United States. Right. I mean, I get all the stuff on the Internet, and it's like, in this town in particular, oh my goodness, in Santa Fe. And so there's a, this swing back toward getting away from killing animals, especially cows, or using dairy products, or, uh, you know, just 
phasing the cow out of the equation because I think people either consciously and or unconsciously know it's destructive. Yeah. It could be our doom. Damn cow. What saved yeah. us or made us what we are in the first place. Well, they're trying, yeah, they're trying to farm <laughs> the meat now to grow it in a lab. Yeah, right. They're trying to get to the point where it's an industrial. Right. Which would actually, depending on what the footprint of that is yeah. environmentally, would be a good thing because then it wouldn't uh, produce all that, wouldn't use nearly the amount of water you would hope. Or the resources, yeah. you wouldn't have to cut down any forests. Oh yeah, you just have to get people used to the idea of eating lab-grown meat. Yeah, which I would wouldn't bother me. Well, if it looked and tasted just like regular yeah. meat, that's exactly uh, what they're trying to do. There's there's certain forms yeah. of you know vegetable protein that are very good, right. very good at mimicking meat too. So I mean that's my point. There was that uh, there is. A hostility toward the cows right. among certain people consciously and then Gaia itself if James Lovelock is saying the cow is the greatest threat to Gaia and if you accept the premise in any way that Gaia is some form of intelligence who's always trying to optimize conditions on earth for all life forms uh, that's yeah. that's it, what it's, it's its own organism that has the same organism yeah. the same uh, systems that we have for defense and right. for survival and for yeah yeah so it it'll you know find a way to get rid of things that are threatening it if, if it's goal or purpose if, you know, if you can attribute that if you can to attribute it. a tele teleology to uh, well uh, the natural I, world I do yeah <laughs> you know I, do, I just that's a bias I know you do that's a bias I, I have a I have a strong suspicion that you are right I don't know if I bought in completely to it. Well, uh, I haven't either. <laughs> you know, I haven't bought into it totally. But and I, there's just a tremendous. I'm very aware of confirmation bias, how yes. that works. Yeah. And but at a certain point, just one thing after another after another keeps coming to me in information that confirms my so-called bias. I'm going, at a certain point, it's like, okay, I know I've got the bias, but why is all this stuff in, <laughs> up in my lab? Because I mean, that's all you see, that's why. <laughs> right, that's all you want to see. It's like, no, I want to see everything. And I, I try to see everything as much as possible. Well, I don't know how much the Guyan hypothesis is a testable theory. It's really, that's, boy, that's a hard one. <laughs> that is a hard one. Uh, it's, well... It's almost like a social science where you look yeah. at the effects of things and you use... Right. Data and, and you yeah. know, analysis of data to try and come up with a right. one a hypothesis and two some sort of um, uh, theory to account for that hypothesis. Well, one of the main objections to Gaia theory was uh, Richard Dawkins. You're familiar with him, mm -hmm. biologist, neo-Darwinist, I call him. Uh, he's of the school that there is no teleology. Society is not moving toward any end goal. There's no you know it's all selfish gene and yeah. he's the one that came up with the idea of the meme because he was oh, trying yeah, to think about that is it makes it so easy to be able to categorize things by thinking about things that way yeah well, it makes it very easy yeah it does I think it's a cop-out yeah. and his and anyway but, but with him but uh, he's uh, his uh, objection to uh, guy in theory is that well that uh, doesn't you know follow Darwinian survival of the fittest natural selection right yeah. because there is no other there is no other Gaia it's just this one entity and there can't just be one entity in any kind of species or for whatever you want to put category you want to put Gaia in 
There can't be just one of it. But to counter that, how does he know there's only just one Gaia? I mean, the universe could be full of Gaias, and we could be communicating with them in all kinds of ways that we don't even know. Yeah. But uh, what I... No evidence. <laughs> what I boiled it down to in a more local, Earth-based uh, idea is uh, the idea of the clash of civilizations. And a couple books, uh, there's that book by Huntington, I think his name was, Clash of Civilizations. It's really a a must read for all the people that are in like the State Department and places like that about what we're we're really dealing with on a worldwide level. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the Lucifer Principle, it's called, by Howard Bloom. So they to me really merge nicely together because what they're saying, uh, the Clash of Civilizations is saying that uh, the Earth is basically, I think he says like six entities that are held together by common ethnicity, yeah. interdependence, uh, resources. Uh, they're they're anti- maybe not even interdependence, but uh, trying to become yeah. independent of each other. Belief systems, and the main thing tying them together is religion. Spirit, you know, some sort of belief system. So, and then each one's slightly different. We have Hindu, we have Buddhist, Confucian. We've got. Uh, Christianity, of course. We got the Muslim world. Uh, Paganism. So, yeah. Well, so these six giant Zoroastrianism. Yeah, these six <laughs> giant entities. He's narrowed it down to what he calls civilizations, mm-hmm. and that they they are at war. I don't know if he says it in a Darwinian sense, but from a geopolitical struggle sense, they're after resources, and there somebody's going to prevail out of those six. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think about it, I go, well, hmm, looks to me like Christianity and Islam will fight each other to the death and destroy each other in this process, uh, trying to, you know, gain the most resources and the most power and the most economic yeah. and physical or resource, you know, every sort yeah, of Yeah, while the Russian Sino whatever goes to, does an end game and says, fine, you two kill each well, other. Well, yeah. I think they get, uh, in his viewpoint, well, not in my viewpoint, actually, uh, the one that uh, Hindu is, the Hindu world, I think, is, is just not cohesive enough in its belief systems. There's too many entities and deities, and you know, it's, it's not as... Uh, uh, it's too democratic. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a problem in that case. So it just seems a little too chaotic for that it to be able to prevail in that situation. But the one that would prevail, as far as I could see, is China. Would be because of their idea, their secular Confucianism uh, and the state being, you know, the, the power and it's not it held together by a particular spiritual belief only in the, you know, only in the sense of Buddhism is not exactly a power religion, but uh, but what they do have is like a very good social cohesion, uh, and that at all these other Russia does too. Actually, that's that's kind of a wild card in this scenario. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think they they're making some some mistakes that will not allow them to reach dominance amongst the six big the six. Yeah. So. With Bloom's book, uh, The Lucifer Principle, he's saying that 
we should consider these six entities as actually biological entities. They're hmm. doing the same thing in a Darwinian sense. Yeah. Uh, that uh, anything you see out here in nature, you know, one something's trying to dominate the other one, eat the other one, get the resources, you know, bring it to their kind, and have their kind have the maximum survival uh, potential. And so that that includes largely corralling all the resources, the food, the energy, the water, whatever it is that makes an organism bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger. So in that sense, it is survival of the fittest. Yeah. So. Well, what's Gaia trying to do in, in, in yeah, response so, to this? Right, so that's the great question, really. To pull it back sort of towards the mutilation stuff. Yeah. So whether Gaia, you know, has a, has a role in that, but I think... You know, assuming that you accept the Gaia premise, Gaia's top goal right now would seem to be, look, no matter how you guys sorted out your organisms here, uh, we've got, you've got to have a sound environment just, you know, underneath you, or else you yeah, all die. Yeah, the whole thing just... Right, you all die in that case, and Gaia can't let that happen because its main goal and purpose... Is to perpetuate its... <laughs> to perpetuate all life, to create the absolute condi ideal conditions for all life to thrive and prosper. So Gaia might have a hand, if you took it a little further than that, in, in actually influencing the uh, political economic world, or influencing the consciousness of people that make those decisions, let's put it that way. So, you know, this gets way, way out there, I know. Uh, but then again, got to think outside the box every once in a while and just see if, uh, if anything fits. I mean, I keep thinking about strange things like world wars. Uh, they're destructive, they're terrible, they're awful for humanity. But actually, world wars have done a, a lot to progress, I call it progress civilization. Uh, Yes. By the development of technology of the kind that might get us off the planet, for instance, rocketry, mm -hmm. uh, all of that kind of stuff, without the impetus of a, a world war, yeah. that much threat and strife, I'm not sure those things would ever have developed or would have been... Exactly. Well, you, um, um, stress and um, turmoil get things changed a lot quicker than kind of a slow and steady, because the, I, th I think it also engenders... Uh, Innovation and, and yes, and yes. Uh, original thinking and all that because there's no choice right at that point. Yes, exactly. That's that's you know following that premise on through uh, that it was actually it actually was a good thing in that respect because it made us get it together because like you say there's no choice and it just forces you know forced humanity to. This is this is not an argument on this show to get into another war. We're just no, we're just no. examining no, why God. things happen the way they happen. Right. Well, supposedly dispassionately here, right. and so, trying to hook it into you know what what is mutilations in the paranormal have to do. Yeah. With this? So it's it's an ill wind that blows no man good. They say. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, this is just a, a small example of the kind of conundrums that you get into when you start following these kind of threads. Yeah. And you reach a point, it's like, no, no, I don't think so. And then we have to have somebody as evil as Hitler to make us, like, snap out of our stupor and say, we don't really want to go down that road ever again. Yeah. 
And uh, so a guy who may, may have some sort of... As some people think it is a good idea. Well... Whatever. I mean, I, I get a little upset with people who th- you know, just keep posting these things on Facebook. Humanity is such a cancer on the earth, and the earth would be better off. Just wipe all the humans off of it. And just, you know, sort of like the old Bob Gerard. Uh, well, and now you're back to a simple solution that requires no thought or effort. Right. That we're just, we blew it. We destroyed our, our world. We don't deserve to be here. Just get rid of all the humans. Well, get rid of yourself and get, get, get <laughs> right. out of our way. Other right. people are trying to figure things out. Yeah, that's what I say. If you think humanity is so terrible, then go leave it. Right. Bye bye. Yeah. Uh, or go live out in the wilderness or something. Yeah, but I mean uh, that. Unfortunately, kinda, we most of us here have to work together. Yeah. That's our. That's what we are being forced to do. But uh, in terms of mutilation, see, this just led me into all these ways of thinking. Especially Gaia. It's so important to me to understand what's going on there, and uh, whether something, you know. There's a Gaian mechanism and uh, at work, and, and and you say, well, how would that translate into actually the cows being cut? And that's a huge question because then you get into some of the stuff we were talking about last time around about tulpas and thought forms and shapeshifters and tricksters and and what I was calling, uh, I've been trying to call, un- unrecognized forces of nature that nature. Produce it, and this is Lyle Watson thinking too in his books, Life Tide and so on. That uh, there's just so many areas that uh, in the, what we call the paranormal, which are actually uh, biological mechanisms, they're un, what, unrecognized forces of nature, and they manifest, is another word that I use a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can manifest into these various forms and physically do things, at least for a while, and then they dissipate, I guess. I don't know, you know if, the, if the consciousness that's created them starts to dissipate somewhat, then they dissipate. But, uh, so then you're into some really tricky areas there, you know. But it's to me, it's not a giant leap to, to take Jungian thought about the trickster, and the trickster being this force in, all, in societies from the very beginning that has... Uh, Turn the societies yeah, and, upside down. Yeah, an agent for change when it is needed. Right, exactly. So, you know, is is war part of the trickster thing? I don't know. Well, uh, that's a stretch. I know. I realize that. Uh, maybe so. Maybe it's a, it. It just had to be turned upside down and new thought form. Well, you know, yeah, war is different. It turns everything upside down. Yeah. I think tricksters turn little bits of things right. upside down here and there. Yeah. As a, almost as a. Um, What's the word? Is a thermostat? Yeah. Well, that's the, we were talking about the thermostat. I think this is uh, partially what uh, Hansen talks about too in his book. Yeah. So, and I, I picked up on that from both Ballet and Hansen and Terence McKenna of the cultural thermostat. When things get too out of whack, then something happens. And uh, I think Terence called, or I called it. I can't remember where it came up with, but they call it the confounding. You know that the. Well, I know Terence did write about Christianity as being a great, uh, it's just to confound the Roman Empire, right? <laughs> because it was out of whack and too powerful and too overwhelming. Uh, and so that had to be turned upside down by some cranky little mystical religion from the Middle East that they didn't foresee. <laughs> they said, ah, oh, they can't possibly do it. 
yeah. have any effect on us. We're the Roman Empire. It's like, oh, yeah? You don't think so? 300 years later, Constantine is like a major Christian. and uh, Yeah. Uh, so, uh, these little, uh, that could be Gaian. And everybody agreed with him at the time. <laughs> that, that could be Gaian, as far as I'm concerned. I, yeah. Because I, I do follow the thread from Young's Collective Unconscious, which I do accept as a premise. Mm-hmm. And I follow that to the next step, uh, but you know, trying to merge it with anything called Gaian consciousness is a giant leap, and it's very difficult, as you say, unprovable, uh, not replicatable. Uh, and how do you even begin? But the way I'm seeing it, though, is like if there is this Gaian consciousness, the way it would manifest itself through us, and therefore into our actions would be through the unconscious mind of humans. And the most accessible time and place for that to happen would be in dreams. Yeah. Because we've got, our, our, we've let our filters or, or during something that's like a dream state, yeah, which is, which right. is, a, which is a anomalous experience. Yes, 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 good. That's right, so a numinous experience. Yes, yeah, so we were talking about numinous a little earlier. So there, that's when we let our guard down. Lyle Watson talks about kind of interesting. I don't really agree with it, but he's basically saying that the human brain has these filters that every day, he said, is totally paranormal and everything is paranormal and we just can't, we have to filter that out mm-hmm. because that's just too overwhelming to the, the rational brain. It, it would stymie us, you know. And he said telepathy is just a natural state. It would be happening all the time. If, with everybody, you know, uh, at all times, if we didn't have these filters in there. And that from a survival point of view, that might not be desirable to have everybody be able to know everybody's thoughts. I don't know. I have to think about that. But uh, or you think about it, and I'll get it from you. <laughs> uh, what are you asking me to do your work? For? Right. Come around here. You try to get me doing this stuff. Uh, so that. Uh, well, you're letting me stay here, so I got to do some work. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Go out and milk the elk. <laughs> Uh, Chop wood, carry water, milk elk. Right. And if you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's where I'm right now. I've just migrated back into like st- study my own unconscious to the best I can through my own dreams, right? And I keep reading these quotes about people saying, nothing really has any meaning unless it's something that you has come from you that you've discovered on your own, which I kind of agree with, but then again I say, well, should I believe the double slit experiment? I can't exactly replicate that in my kitchen, so I'm going to have to believe these physicists that uh, are telling me this about quantum physics, because I... Yeah, this absolutism on things really pisses me off, because like I said before, it it, it relieves you of so much responsibility for figuring things out on your own, discovering things on your own, talking about things with people, Having a discussion, having civilized debates, if, yeah. if you make an absolute statement like that, it relieves you of so much responsibility, and that um, I think that's part of the reason why we're kind of in the fix we are right now, because yeah. people don't want yeah. to take responsibility for learning and for for confronting other people with, with ideas or anything. That's, I, I try to do that on this show, even though I mostly have people on I agree with, but we talk about things that... Uh, um, yeah, that we think are important. Now you have some great people. I mean, God, you really picked some good people. Uh, and these are really, Thank I think, cutting-edge people, I, I, all of them. 
And I really enjoy, appreciate your, your taste in being able to bring those forward and highlight those people. And, uh, well, sure, thank you. I was not fishing, but thank well, you so much. Well, no, I'm, I'm serious. I really appreciate it. And uh, others like you that do similar things, and there aren't a whole lot of people. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm playing to an audience of five in the whole world, you know. I it's do like, too, but I don't care. Uh, I know. It's just, I would do it anyway if I was... If, if, no, it's only me trying yeah. to satisfy my own curiosity. Yeah, That's exactly. Really if, if if part of this is that instead of just sitting here and talking to you, um, to be be able to present it to people and have them yeah. affect them or have them discuss it. That's even better. Oh, I yeah. mean, that's that's part of the, you know, and it's a lot easier than writing a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do you think there's so many podcasts? Right. Write the <laughs> damn people, book. Yeah, and people do them for so many different reasons. Some of them do them for, you know, ego. Some right. of them do them because they just want to talk to important people. And some, you know, and I've got all that going on. Plus, you know, it's like, let's get some weird ideas out there and see what happens with them. Let's see if they yeah. propagate. Right. Let's see what people say. Let's see if people cut them down and say we're full of crap. I don't care. I just want to get the ideas out and churn it. Yeah, well, you're doing that, and it's. Uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get churn in a little bit. And what, I keep running, running across these quotes. Several scientists, a similar type of quote, which is something like, for the idea which at first glance does not seem foolish or insane, there is no hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's not radical enough to change anything. Right. So I, I'm kind of encouraged by that. Uh, and I realize that... No, you know, radical ideas are great. I live for those things. Yeah. But you don't, you know, you don't... The radical idea is not there to, to, for you to carry a banner in front of it. The right. radical idea, to me, is there for you to say, what merit does this have? And how many people does it scare? And right. why does it scare them? And if it does yeah. scare them, is it for a good reason? Yeah. And well, a lot of radical ideas are... They're just radical ideas. But some of them have teeth. Yeah. And staying power. Well, and over a generation or so, you know, according to Thomas Kuhn thing about the structure right. of scientific revolutions, these radical ideas become dogma. Yeah, which is I, fine. Just, I just reread that. That was like a big thing. In, the first thing in science in college, that's the book. They said, read this book mm -hmm. now, and we're going to you, quiz you and test you every which way until you understand this book. And I'm kind of glad they did that. At the time, I was like, really? I don't know. It's kind of boring, man. But then until you realize what it is, right? And then I realize what you realize is it is is a radical right. statement. And the next thing they used to give you is Alexis de Tocqueville, "Democracy in America," right? Mm -hmm. Which is a, if you want to understand American society, this guy had it figured out way, way back. Just certain books that uh, I'm that I have not read. Go ahead and hit me. It's it's. I won't. You know, I'm not. Entirely sure how it fits into the conversation, but it's it just doesn't. But it's a, it's it's something a, a general knowledge well, thing which people should know. Well, it's just uh, he's. I certainly know who he is, and I certainly know right. about that. He just was very history. observant about the American character and his basic idea about how we would succeed in our noble experiment of democracy was uh, to develop the idea and. The, uh, to propagate the idea of uh, enlightened self-interest. Mm -hmm. That it's not enough to just be self-interested, you've got to be in and have an enlightened self-interest. Yeah. He thought we had the potential to be that. <laughs> That's right. Now, with the internet, internet, most of us just have self-interest. Right. <laughs> so it's just gone back, like, it's me, me, and then me. Yeah. 
so I still think some people have that. It's a part of the, it's one part of the American character, and then we see other parts also. Uh, all right, so then uh, we've got. I that. wanted to ask you about the. Uh, we didn't really get into the. How did any of these paranormal memes start, and how did they become? How did they evolve into something different than what they were originally? Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's interesting too. That's People good. don't realize right. that things are a uh, concatenation of all this weird stuff, ideas, things that have happened, stuff that have come after yeah. it, and it did not. A lot of these things we're interested in, like cannibalization thing, was not originally what we think it is now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a real good point. Uh, and what we were, I think we were talking about a little bit last night was uh, the idea of these uh, the seminal events in each of these realms, right? There's certain ones, Snippy the Horse and cattle mutilations. Yeah, I uh, wanted to ask you about the, that too the, with the jets. Oh yeah, the the uh, crop circles or Bigfoot seems to have been around forever. Uh, I was thinking about that in, in terms of in Jungian terms. Uh, I kept I could never quite figure out how to uh, integrate Bigfoot into the paranormal. Uh, what what is its function? For, say from a Jungian symbology point of view, for instance. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you could go into that. You know, well, who was the natural man person? Yeah, that's where that's not where Hume. I, um, it was a, uh, Rousseau. Rousseau. That's it. I'm sorry. Uh, well, that's where I, I ended up with it. I. Chris and I did a little piece on it one time, and that's all I could come up with. It's like, okay, if we look at the little aliens, little grays, and their spacecraft, their saucers, and then we look at Bigfoot, Sasquatch, running around out there in the woods as natural man, right? This is two aspects of our being, of humans. Mm. So, in other words, uh, you could say that Bigfoot is was our natural being in Eden, perhaps, you know. Bigfoot is a pretty peaceful creature. Yeah, he looks unless, unless you go in the east where there's hunters. Oh. And they, they, they consider Bigfoot a varmint. Right. Well, the southeast, you, anyway. Texas yeah, southeast, there's, there's a, a little bit, there's a, there's this very strange yeah. co-creation thing going on yeah. where the west, it's kind of a peaceful, natural man, yeah, right. mellow unicorns and rainbows thing, and in the east, or right. the southeast, and the... And, and the um, parts of the south, not really the southwest, but this is kind of an eastern southern thing where it's something to be hunted. Well, That's everything's something to be hunted down there. That's true. Who's the guy that the writer that says, when I go in the woods, something dies? It's like, <laughs> uh, it's like great, man. Well, remind me not to go out with you in the woods. Because <laughs> uh, it could be me, for all I know. But, but yeah, there's this very, very strange dichotomy. One of the pre people listens to the show, um, uh, Pointed this out to me a few months ago. Yeah, well, I never really thought about it. Yeah, uh, it's Zach Copley. That's who did it. Thank yeah, you, Zach. but but this is a, we're talking to Sasquatch is a worldwide phenomenon. I think it truly, virtually worldwide. Uh, Any reports of it from uh, what India, uh, everywhere, from way from 1600s, Africa, I don't know. South America. Yeah, but it, it's, just from the Jungian point of view, this could in our minds and our mythologies that we carry around could represent our past as the nat in a pure and natural state in nature, living free and wild and with no constraints and so on and so on, and in a generally peaceful, uh, not destructive to the environment type of way. Right. Then if you look at the little grays and their 
first of all, their physical stature, for one thing. I've, I've looked at pictures of them, and I, I think, well, that, that could actually be us in, in a thousand years or maybe yeah, less. Yeah, that's the neoteny, uh, the neoteny right. so, idea, uh, where everything so, is, uh, humans are evolving into something that looks more like an in infant. Yeah, so it's like a little kid with it's a giant head, have no, no chin, basically, no nostrils. They don't need nostrils at that point. They don't rely on olfactory senses. And, and ears aren't particularly important either. Uh, but And the chin has evolved away almost entirely. It's like because they don't need big old grinding surfaces to eat, you know, tear apart wild critters Eat, with yeah. their teeth. And then the, they have a kind of S-shaped spine, which is what people get from sitting at computers all the time. And uh, they're very diminutive, and they're not—they're gray. They don't look healthy. They don't look like they're particularly in tune with nature. Uh, but it kind of looks like what humanity could become if you followed a, a neoteny uh, graph of you know from fish to ape to human and then back down the other way to this. Uh, de-evolution. Yeah, de-evolution, right? <laughs> so you've got those two those two mythological. Archetypes, I guess you'd have to call them, yeah. uh, that are simultaneously in play within the paranormal and uh, in people's imaginations. So that's uh, a modern myth of things seen in the in the woods, right. and in the bedroom, and you know, wherever right. you see them. So they're uh, they're real, but they're not real. And I keep trying to pin Chris O'Brien about it. it's like, what is, what is Bigfoot? Oh, it's paraphysical. It's like, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, they're only partly physical. It's like, well, what does that mean? Well, so, para means outside of. Yeah. So, in other words, it's something that can go, can manifest as something entirely physical all the way to, you know, something that disappears in a ball of light. Uh, so, you know, we got to handle this idea of things being paraphysical if they are kindled into existence by a certain density of what I call consciousness. I hate to use the word energy. I mean, it's just, God, it's just... Yeah, we were talking about the, the problem with language when you start stepping around right. the paranormal. But I've come up with all kinds of crazy stuff, like, uh, you know, from like trying to be a scientific about it. It's like, okay, what is it about the body that uh, could possibly contribute this so-called energy to, to, you know, configuring these things? And, you know, it turns out, like, the body, we emit light. We emit biophotons. And the body actually, I never even knew this until recently, the body actually emits microwave frequencies. And uh, we're electromagnetic in nature. We all knew that. But uh, So I'm thinking of the phenomenon. It's like, you know, the crop circles, for instance. It's like, okay, uh, where is this magnetite coming from? And that these sites, and, and one of Dr. Levengood's or Mr. Levengood's... Uh, yeah things that have fascinated me is he did the samples at you know, a cattle mutilation site, he did them in crop circles, and he also did a UFO landing site and examined the plants, and it's like, wait, these are all showing these same characteristics of, you know, exploded growth nodes and the typical stuff that he, you know, claims that he's seeing and something that's operating in the microwave range. And then, of course, any kind of the orbs, all this kind of stuff, uh, the balls of light, Somehow, if the humans are emitting biophotons, they could be somehow aggregated, accreted, whatever you want to call it, 
into at times dense uh, configurations that are, are very ephemeral and don't can't achieve coherence for very long until I dissolve. But uh, now I'm really getting out there. <laughs> but so I'm just saying, we're, okay. we're, we're pushing into these radical ideas that are uh, that uh, that cause problems. Yeah. No, well, that's you know what that that's what these conversations are about. I mean, the the more radical, ridiculous we can get, the more interesting to me, um, because I don't really, like you said, I, I don't want to, I don't stick on a theory. I just keep examining things to see, you know, let's throw the net wide, right, and see what comes in when you yep. pull it in. You know, a lot of it might just slip through or be too small to be caught in the right. net or not even be shaped to like something the net will catch. Right. But <laughs> Oh, there is that, yes. <laughs> but uh, the the point is to uh, keep as many of these uh, yeah. ideas in the soup. Well, okay, to go back. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, and and, and, uh, and maybe kick off different memes. Yeah. Useful ones. Yeah. Ones with, so- ones with something useful encoded in them for other people to explore. Right. Yeah, so it makes you wonder what the possibilities are, but to me the possibilities are infinite. What what you learn from consciousness studies, at least what I do, it's like, wow, we actually have a lot more control over things than we give ourselves credit for if we use these abilities uh, and, and recognize what our true nature is and where we get our information. A large part of it, I think, it's through unconscious channels. Mm-hmm. And the most obvious place there is dream states. Right. And as you say, the anomalous experiences that people have. Yeah. So that this could be a huge breakthrough of sorts. It's like, I don't know how you go about creating an anomalous experience, but we certainly don't. A lot of people are very interested in that right now. The The movement in, in, uh, in the paranormal, or at least in ufology, to create... The conditions yeah. for having a strange experience is right. strong right now. It, it is. I've tried it, strangely yeah. enough, and I had a weird experience with a sound coming from behind me right. when I tried Jeff Ritzman's uh, protocols. I told I, I yeah, tell you about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, sitting in a garden because I sat there for about four days, and then the, finally the last day I took a break one day because I had to go. Um, uh, leave town for a bit, and then I came back to this place, yeah. which was basically a meditation area in my friend's house when I was house sitting, and I heard a sound behind me. And when I looked at it, it would stop. And yeah. it sounded like an insect noise, like a high-pitched insect clicking or yeah. not even buzzing, but just kind of a. And I turned, and the sound would stop. And I said, "How does it know I'm looking at it?" So that freaked me out. Right. Right. Uh, and then I just tried an experiment. I started turning my head, and when it got to about eight o'clock, it would stop. But when it got back between eight, between eight well, and four o'clock, I could hear it. Yeah. But at three and nine o'clock, it would stop. I don't know what that was. There might be some sort of infrasound produced by some sort of insect that does that. But I don't know. Yeah. I tried to look it up, but I couldn't find anything on it. Well. But anyway, it's but, just an example of yeah, okay. trying to try to engender something well, for somebody that hasn't had the experience. Right. Because, okay. to my mind, at this point, the best way to get people to 
I don't know about believe in it, but think that this is um, important and that it is um, accessible and that it is uh, real, quote unquote, right. is to provide people the tools to be able to experience it for themselves. And you know what? When they do experience it for themselves, it will not be the same for everybody. It will be different, yeah. sometimes wildly different for everybody, but they will know that right. there is something that is not in the normal realm of um, possibility or or, right. or normal realm of uh, experience that is accessible to them. And in that that says far more than yeah. us talking, than reading a hundred yeah. books or well, anything. Well, I think that's exactly right on. And back to what your original question was, I think, was uh, how do we, how would you introduce people to, uh, well, your question, I think, was the, the original events behind some of these. Yes, I'm sorry, we didn't, we didn't uh, well, dig down to the But But, uh, and then... And, and snippy and the one and of our the, earlier, what the original one of our earlier discussions you, you kind of jogged my thinking about it was that uh, okay so people go out to a crop circle which is obviously a hoax the hoaxers admitted it you know everybody knows it's a freaking hoax uh, but people go out there and have anomalous events nonetheless mm-hmm. knowing that mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's similar to cattle relations. Uh, there's certain ones that I've gone out and looked at. It's like, uh, and I go with us, you know, sort of a built-up, pent-up kind of tension to go look at these things. And you get in a certain kind of physiological, mental state before you see them. And then you see them and go, oh, that is almost certainly predator kill. Almost certainly. It's just this, this is, does not look like the other things. This is you know, coyotes and ravens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but meanwhile, <laughs> uh, well, this is like the paranormal well, and the and the and the, and the uh, hoaxing part. Of while it. you're there, uh, suddenly your tape deck doesn't work. Then your camera doesn't work, and then your car doesn't work. And then it's like, wait a minute, what is going on here? There's some sort of electromagnetic field or something. Yeah. Something has been engendered because right. of that, because of all the other environmental factors right. present for it, except the... The, the original. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, never mind that. It's a, so the, that is a huge clue. Yeah. It's that almost is, like casting spells or something, yeah. you know, it's where... A, it's a really big clue, and I don't quite know how to follow it through. But I've seen it myself, so I know. So I would say... If anybody has the opportunity to even go interview a, a UFO witness or an abductee witness or experience or whatever, yeah. to get around that kind of stuff, and get a point. Just get out, break out of your normal mode. You just say, okay, I'm going to go talk to so-and-so. I heard they had a weird experience. I'm going to go over and talk to them and ask them what happened. And just see what starts developing around that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you might brush up against what this... what this phenomenon that we're talking about, which is sort of a secondary type of thing, but yeah. I think quite significant. So, uh, but the, the thing is, you get these original events, and then I think possibly the meme process takes over. And, and, it, and I think I was, we were talking last night about, for instance, with counter relations, uh, that my original theories may have been somewhat correct, according to Gabe Valdez and Nids, which, you know, that something uh, something was testing for nuclear radiation in the landscape. And so there may have actually been, and, and I think I mentioned that Snippy the Horse was 1967, a very anomalous event with the little jets. And, uh, which then, we, I will ask you to explain okay, that, because that's uh, fascinating. I'll get right back to it. 
So anyway, so then you've got all kinds of craft and uh, everything happening around Snippy. If Blind Saucer's mutilated by horrors, the meme takes off. Um, that was the same year that the chronic wasting disease started infecting Colorado wildlife. So uh, NIDS, of course, picked up on that too. So it's like, wait a minute, all this stuff started, Also right? the same year as the last major underground nuclear test, which yeah, was gas buggy. That was gas buggy around Dulce. Yeah. Uh, so then that happened, and uh, so that so maybe the original event was actually the government in helicopters, <laughs> <laughs> right? Real helicopters, real government guys out there. We better test what's going on here. Yeah. See, one one drawback about my nuclear theory is that that uh, always there's a lot of drawbacks. But you know, I, I was reading, I see all these maps and charts of how the distribution of radioactivity went, and uh, uh, across the United States and North America, and it really matches up well with where the mutilations are. So, but the problem is that those are the, the products are, are relatively short-lived. You know, iodine 131 and cesium and these things—they're like have a half-life of two years or something. Yeah. And some uh, of those volatile ones are half-lives of hours. Yeah. So. It's like, wait a minute, uh, it's like, how many years after the atomic test is this, or it's like 40, 50 years, whatever it is. Yeah. They're not testing for cesium out there. Uh, they may be testing for other issues in, involving, the, you know, the encephalopathies and the animals and the cows and so on. That would be an ongoing thing uh, to this day, feasibly being tested. But in terms of just studying radiation per se, but then we got the, just the pollution factor that enters that equation, and now it's turning out the pollution is you know, probably more of a threat just to your regular old pollution yeah, than, than, than radiation. Than anything that came from the bomb sites. But uh, they still seem to cluster around nuclear plants even to this day, which is still fascinating to me, the mutilations. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it could be a combination of these things where, okay, the, the original thing was a real event. The helicopter, the guy was, came down with a laser whatever, cut the genitals and cord the anus and took off. And then Gaia, the collective unconscious, whatever it is, sees the opportunity for myth building and meme building and trying to maneuver, maneuver the society toward what I was calling... Uh, Okay, this is becoming more clear about your... An evolutionary imperative to get off the planet and develop the technology to get off the planet and to believe in aliens and to believe in space. Uh, so that is a meme that I think that is why... It's what McKenna says in getting, becoming a space-faring civilization is the overarching goal of all of civilization. Uh, that's what we're designed to do, is to get yeah. this all off and spread it everywhere we can spread it. Yep. On Burroughs' idea, we're here to go. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I must be going. <laughs> uh, so that Marxist idea. Hello, I must be going. You're right. <laughs> Groucho Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's a lot of fun. Gee, it's all a lot of fun. I see it that way. I don't see the paranormal as a big threatening paranoid thing. I see it as endless opportunity. Oh, it's endless opportunity to be to come up with an idea and then have the the, the phenomena actually come in and say, no. No, 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 no. I've seen that so many times. Oh, my God. Oh, it's just phenomenal. And that's the trickster. I, and the trickster is a joker, we got to remember. 
And this, so much of this paranormal business is a huge degree of theatricality. Yeah. And uh, that's for our amusement to get our attention, and uh, maybe for their amusement. I don't know. <laughs> but well, I'm, I'm trying to get away. Every time I run up against this, I'm trying to get away in the paranormal from the subject-object thing. Yeah. It is not something that is done to you. Right. It is something where you are a participant within yes. it, with, yes, with, yes. with it, and you don't realize that. Yeah, I like that in your your essay. I remember. Yeah, and that that was a really good point. But uh, yeah, you're a participant. It's a participatory universe. We yes. we create to a large degree, if not entirely, our own reality. Yeah, that's a wheel. The John Archibald Wheeler's quote yeah. about the participatory anthropic principle, whatever right. he called it, when he was talking about. Yeah. Uh, information uh, as the basis of reality so then just the other day i had i woke up i get these ideas when i first wake up before the filters kick in you know that's a really good time to mine your unconscious wow a lot of wind. so i wake up and i think like uh, i'd been reading about dark energy and dark matter and it's like, why can't they figure this out? I mean... They just call it that because they don't know what it is. The cosmological constant, that was a big budge, you know. Uh, so <laughs> the, we got like 97%. We know the effects, we just right. don't know what it is. So it's called dark... So what I could I woke up saying, I know what it is. It's consciousness. <laughs> That's what it is. And uh, they can... How do, you, how do you explain that is in regards to dark matter and dark energy as consciousness being... What that it's is. inchoate consciousness. It's, it hasn't formed into. And then I was reading about the Higgs boson, and its role they hypothesize is to actually turn that energy, consciousness, whatever, into matter? physical matter, right? Yeah. And so that's how it manifests is through the whatever. So you think un- undifferentiated consciousness is measurable? As a as the as as dark matter affecting things, then we can't tell what it is. Because well, it, maybe if we thought of it as consciousness, we might figure out how to measure it. Okay. Uh, but don't I, I am I'm just asking for an explanation well, I, I, of your intuitive no, feeling. I, I sent it to a physicist who got really excited by the idea, uh-huh. and then he just dropped it and wouldn't correspond with me anymore. He probably asked another physicist, and they said, that "That's crazy. You, you're not coming to the next party if you keep talking like this." Right. So that, that told me maybe I was on the right track. I don't know. Uh, but he got really excited at first, and I said, you know, I, I just I had this weird dream, and I woke up, and I thought, man, that's what this is. That's what what's going on. It's it's inchoate, you know. It's not. Yeah. And uh, and that's what the Higgs boson does, and that's how it all comes into into matter. But I mean, this is a very mechanistic uh, uh, scientism type of argument uh, I'm not comfortable with entirely you know yeah it does the way you describe it now seems almost too mechanistic well maybe I don't know I mean certain things as we have discussed are actually mechanistic yeah you know if you look at that bug over there it's walking over there it's carrying that and it's carrying it down into the hole and they're gonna do this and that and then yes. they build the, the yes. tunnel it's all it's it's Seeable, doable yes. mecha- mechanisms of Ma- nature doing yes. Ma- matter does what matter does. Yeah, so it's doing its thing, and it's not particularly mystical, uh, but uh, it's nonetheless mechanistic. And when the apple falls on Newton's head, that was, you know, that was mechanistic. I mean, the 
physical effect. Uh, so, at a certain point, you know, you either got to say, oh, that's just the way things are, and why bother to beat your head against the wall trying to figure out the imponderables. These are things that we'll never know. We're never yeah, meant to know. Just, just go have a nice meal and forget about right? it. Right. <laughs> so, the other hand, uh, I wow, know, that's a lot of weird. If people are curious, they're curious, and you yeah. want to know these things, and it's exciting as hell to to dig into this stuff yeah, and come I think up with so. stuff like that. It's just, this kind of stuff makes me happy. This is why I keep doing the yeah, show and it's just coming real. over and bugging you. It's so exciting and uh, and so many possibilities. And it, what was your term about the cosmicist? About the, the usefulness of phenomena or something? Oh yeah, the Russian cosmist idea. Cosmist. You. You identify a phenomenon, and instead of just studying it, you ask what can be done about it. Yeah, right. Not many people ask what can be done. They just ask what is it, and right. what is it like. That's as far as it's taken. Right. What can be done about it is almost frightening. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you have to figure out what it is first. But I guess... I mean, the utilitarian aspects, well, it's important because... The I, idea that the example was given was like, you can be a meteorologist and study the weather, yeah. but then what do you do about the weather? Right. Can you do something with it to benefit people? And, you know, yeah. what with the weather anyway, I argue it's like, well, it's part of a larger system. But these were these ideas right. were, being, were being thrown around in the 19th century where right. people thought godlike powers would be wonderful. Um, and I guess they still are, but... The, the idea to me stands. You find right. something out, you find a, a phenomenon, you find a, a field of study, not just study the thing, but right. figure out what can you do actively with this idea or this knowledge? Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out with uh, the mutilations and yeah. where it has led it to you know many people besides me into the environmental studies and the, Disease in our food chain and the brain brain rotting uh, capabilities of eating mad cows and uh, this is a very serious public health issue or potentially devastating. Yeah, uh, could just completely turn the world upside down. Uh, and then you know, trying to understand the environment better through Earth system yeah. science it doesn't or have Gaia. to be done through a war. Suddenly nobody can eat beef. <laughs> right. Damn. Or drink milk. Yeah. Or have cheese or butter. What do you do with that? Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, or ice cream, man. It's it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. It's more unthinkable than a war, actually. Yeah. Because it's so all-encompassing. A war is like, oh, there's a war, we're fighting, somebody's right. going to win. Not, with, not yeah. with a problem with a major part of our food. Yeah. At least in the West. So it's, uh, well, it's just po really focused me on the environment. I already was focused there for many years, but yeah. uh, just to see those cows in the field, I go, wow, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something is going terribly wrong somewhere, somehow. This is not what you're supposed to be seeing. So I think we get warnings in all kinds of ways, and we get subliminal information that uh, we don't. I'm sure I absorb all the time that I don't really realize I'm absorbing it until it comes out later, possibly in a dream, possibly consciously, whatever. Uh, so, but 
it's not having, you know, knowing these things for me is not having any great effect on the society. Uh, and or Chris and Colm Kelleher, you know, pursuing the mad cow angle with the cows. Uh, Kelleher puts out a book. I don't think too many people pay much attention to it. Uh, even though it represented a hell of a lot of work by him and Nids, and, and that was their conclusion with coming away from it. The most he would say is like, somebody or something is cutting up these cows trying to figure out the mad cow situation in our food chain. Uh, so he, he really, sh I don't think he ever said aliens, UFOs. No, no, I mean, it, he's smart not to like, right. assign any agency to it. It's right. this thing I've been talking about recently that I got from Metcalf a little bit is, let's look at this as data, data, data. Yeah. Not as an emotional, let, let's take the data and look at it and see what, what we come up by looking dispassionately at the data. Um, the implications of looking dispassionately might turn into something passionate. But don't start out with right. that. Don't start out on that on that road because yeah. your large swaths of the data will be ignored if you're emotionally involved in it. Yeah, that's supposedly what science is about. Yeah, boy, it's it's really hard to separate the emotions. Yeah, well, even in from, science, I mean, there's yeah. so many things that are covered up or changed, or you know, the company paid for this study and they don't want to see this this result, so the science is going to show this, and right. it's just. Or the scientist doesn't like that part of the data, so they ignore that part of it. It's like so. God, it's, what was this one? This friend of mine who died, a sculptor. Uh, it's just something you said reminded me of him when you said emotions. But he had this theory about uh, people's encounters with UFOs, for instance, that it evokes so many different emotions in, in people. Some were like terrified, and some were welcoming, and some were curious, and. So, uh, just every emotion, basically. Take your take your basic personality, right. and the UFO experience but, but he, magnifies that part of the. What he was saying, though, he he was a pretty hard ET believer guy, but he was saying, I think the aliens look at them. They never smile. They never laugh. They never crack a joke. Uh, <laughs> they have no emotions, and so what fascinates us, uh, fascinates them about us, is our emotions, and they somehow suck or draw or want to feel. Oh yeah, that's an old idea. Carla Turner talked about that a lot. Which and has, a bunch of other really people said. Streber even. And then I had an, one more thing about. Uh, oh yeah, let's see. I had this idea at one point of. I still may do it. I wanted to compile a list of abductee communications. I'll call them, and, and even contactee. Uh, involving aliens lecturing people about the environment, right? Yeah. And it was going to be aliens as environmentalists, basically, you know. Which is what it seems like and they it, are. It's, it, and if you start going through those reports, they're always scolding people. It's like, you don't, you're ruining the earth and you're polluting the place. And, and some of them, several of them actually say, what you're doing is also affecting us, the alien. That was the Judy Doherty hypnosis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. said, yeah. Well, it has something to do with the pollution and uh, radiation, and something we're doing is causing a chain reaction that's affecting them also, and will destroy us. But the aliens are always scolding, you humans, you're really messing it up, and you're messing it up for us too. Yeah, I wonder what they're telling, if they are Indians... Russians, South Americans. Well, that would be really Inuit people. What are they telling them? Yeah, just to get even, you know no what matter, I'm telling. They're, and they're not right. aliens. They're just some other thing that's not human. Yeah. So yeah, that, that would be kind of a you know 
to disregard the reality of the event. You just take the transmission, wherever it came from, telepathically. They mm. said, contact these. Right, right. And what just, what is what is the what, is, it, what are the messages here? Just take it at face value, wherever it came from. Whether they even made it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, just put it all together and just see what that theme is. Mm -hmm. And I bet it would be. It's the same theme as the what you're saying the cattle mutilation thing is. Yeah. You're screwing things up here. <laughs> yeah, so that's, I still want to do that. And I ran it by Linda Howe at one point. She got mad at me, I think. She thought I was being frivolous, right? And I said, this isn't a, no. This that's isn't the a least frivolous thing you <laughs> could come up with. Right. I thought it was, actually it would be very informative. But I didn't think, I think she didn't like the idea of throwing in, you know, telepathic communications or the contactees necessarily or, yeah. you know, just those kind of sources mediumistic whatever we're, cr she, we're, we're crazy radical uh, wacky people here yes and, and therefore that's, I think that's what makes me happy I think we have done uh, what we set out to do was which was to provide the answer <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much yeah well we'll continue if Chris can get here we'll get part two on with Chris before it's too late uh, that's what we do. That's why we make the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Drive the big rigs. Okay. Thanks so much, David. And Thank uh, you, Greg. Thanks again, and we'll talk again soon, okay. uh, either on or off the record. I think we pretty much solved oh, it all. What's, what's the song you wanted to use, the spirit song? Nature's Way, it's called. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll throw Nature's Way on here uh, before this is posted. Okay, thanks. Bye. Something's wrong.